I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It is a crisp fall morning. We're waking up, getting ready for work, school, even regretting a long night. Just everyday life. Only today, for seven billion people, the definition of life itself will change. It's a signal from the cosmos, a message that answers the most profound question we as a species have ever asked. Are we alone? A signal from an extraterrestrial would be like a, a knock on the door on a dark night when you're not expecting anyone. It'd not only be the coolest thing that ever happened, it'd be the most profound discovery in the history of science, in the history of what it is to be human. There would be history before this stunning discovery and then history afterwards. The effect is going to be to change our civilization completely. It's back to the drawing board for all of us. But if this is a signal from another world, who in the universe is sending it? It's generally assumed that if we pick up a signal, it's coming from a society that's more advanced than ours. Now, why is that? Uh, couldn't there be aliens that are less advanced? Well, of course, but they're not building powerful radio transmitters. So if they're not at least at our technological level, we won't hear from them. We've only had technology for a hundred years. That's a hundred years out of the history of a galaxy that's 10 billion years old. Any signal that we detect is going to be coming from an older civilization. I'm talking in the hundreds of thousands of years. All radio waves travel at the speed of light. In a vast universe, a signal from the middle of the Milky Way would take over 26,000 years to get here. 
which means whoever sent it is either long gone or way more advanced than anything we could imagine. In the clock of the cosmos, we've only been around for a millisecond. But in our brief time here, humans have made our presence known. Boys and girls! We've been signaling our presence for a long time now. Really, since the period of the Second World War is when the Earth began to glow with radio signals that uh, might inform some curious uh, aliens that were here. From the first scratchy radio transmissions to today's beams of broadband, we've been accidentally shouting into the cosmos for over a century. I Love Lucy left the Earth 50 years ago and has now gone past 10,000 stars. The nearby stars have seen The Simpsons. As radio waves travel, they dissipate, but never disappear. Within 500 light years, the honeymooners would be barely a whisper above cosmic background noise. But by then, it would have passed roughly one million stars. Oh boy, Dad, we have if they can capture our television, they would understand our languages. They could know as much about us as we ourselves do. I'm stupid. No one knows any better. Not even me than you how stupid I am. If Ralph Cramden is our diplomat, who knows what an intelligent alien would think of us? If Earth has a welcome mat, it's here in Mountain View, California. SETI is the search for extraterrestrial intelligence and is the most audacious program to date in terms of looking for extraterrestrials and seeing if they actually exist. Dozens of minds working to understand billions of years of evolutionary history, examining how life on our world went from chemistry to biology in order to learn if it happened anywhere else. Leading the charge is SETI director Jill Tarter. More than 150 people work at the SETI Institute. They're astronomers, they're biologists, they're chemists, they're geologists. When we turn our antennas in the direction of some nearby star system that we think might have a planet with intelligent life on it, we're trying to find evidence of someone else's technology. We're looking for signals that we don't think nature can produce. Every star, galaxy, and black hole in space spews out a cacophony of many radio frequencies. Never just one. So a single channel, compressed frequency, strongly indicates that some intelligent being made it. Hours after it arrives, SETI scientists work to verify the message is real. There's a big problem in SETI, and it's getting worse and worse. It's called the radio interference problem. We do find a lot of strong signals, but most of those strong signals are not from extraterrestrials. They're from radio pollution, satellites, planes, cell phones. Until they rule out all possible human sources, the cork stays in the bottle. SETI's method of listening for ET began in 1960 when astronomer Frank Drake became the first person to listen for alien radio signals. We didn't have to assume a super civilization. All they had to be was like us and we could find them. In a way, we're doing the same thing that was done in 1960, except that the technology has gotten so much better. Experiments today are reckoned to be 100 trillion, with a T, 100 trillion times more effective than that first experiment. 
The closest thing Earth has to an alien switchboard is hidden in the shadow of California's Cascade Mountains. It's called the Allen Telescope Array, and it's the only large-scale radio telescope meant to be available 24-7 for SETI research. We're standing in front of one of the 42 antennas of the Allen Telescope Array. On their own, the dishes are small, designed to be easy and cheap to fix. But when the array is completed, it will contain 350 dishes with a combined power of one radio telescope half a mile wide. It will be able to pick up a megawatt transmission from a thousand light years away and map the entire visible sky in one day and night. We're not able to hear them, we're not able to see them, but the whole Earth is being bathed in radio signals. But the radio signals from other stars have come from such a long distance away that they're incredibly weak. The strength of radio signals is measured in Janskis, a tiny unit of energy density on the scale of 10 to the negative 26 watts. When they arrive at the ATA, these radio signals have even less energy than a snowflake releases when it hits the ground. We are in the inside of the telescope. This is sort of like a cosmic tuning fork. And the long times are sensitive to the long wavelengths. The shorter times are sensitive to the shorter wavelengths. When we use this kind of telescope, we can look at nine billion different channels. The array of telescopes allows SETI researchers to listen to virtually every microwave radio frequency all the time. But nine billion frequencies streaming in 24-7 means a mountain of numbers to crunch. That's the Everest SETI adventurers have to climb every day. At UC Berkeley, astronomer Dan Wertheimer has found a way to do just that. He oversees a groundbreaking experiment to tackle a trillion bytes of data a day. It's called SETI at Home. You can go to our website and download this free SETI at Home screensaver program, and you will be assigned a piece of the sky, but instead of just putting up pretty pictures, your computer is actually looking for that faint murmur of a distant civilization. So far, eight million people have installed the screensaver. Their collective processing power forms one of the biggest supercomputers on the planet. Without them, a signal could arrive and slip through the cracks. My guess is that if we ever do find a distant civilization, it won't be an expert at SETI or a scientist. It could be anyone on the planet. In other words, your laptop could be the portal to ET. But outsourcing the work could bring risks of its own. Will it leak? Probably. We've had a couple of false positives, and although nobody purposely told anybody anything, in fact, it did leak. As the news of the alien message spreads, scientists race to catch up. It takes days for SETI research to confirm that the signal wasn't made by anything natural, and it wasn't made by us. An alien civilization has opened a channel with Earth, but are we ready for what they might say? I think we have enough ego to be prepared if we find microbial life. Bugs, fine. I think we can handle that. The day we discover life that's more intelligent than we are, we'll go bananas.
After half a century of listening and thousands of years of wondering, an extraterrestrial transmission has been picked up, not just by ET-seeking scientists, but by an outsider. Almost instantly, the news goes viral. It's a field day for skeptics, beginning as more news of the weird than news of the millennia. But this time, it's real. We don't know who they are, where they are, or what they want. We only know that we're on the precipice of a new universe. The signal isn't coming to California, to the Allen Telescope Array, or to the SETI Institute, or even to the United States. The signal's coming to the whole planet. The information is the property of humankind. World governments or militaries might seek to control the information, but there would be no way to stop it. The public already knows. I think if we caught a strong extraterrestrial signal, people would freak out. I think it would be a good freak out in a lot of ways, but there'd be some bad stuff to go with it. And once a channel to the cosmos were opened up, there would be no going back. Come on in. Once you tell the world, everybody's backyard satellite TV receiver is going to be aimed in that direction of the sky, shouting, Yoo-hoo! The world, in fact, will transmit, and it will be a great cacophony and a pretty good characterization of just who we are as a species now. Anyone within the sound of my voice? Aliens, what's up? Please take... Our world explodes with communication as people reach out in any way they can to each other and to the cosmos. We don't know if our cosmic neighbors are friends or foes. But we do know now that the signal is rich with data that will take time to decipher. In some ways, it might be like getting a gift from your weird uncle. Once you finally open it up and unwrap it and take it out of the box, you look at it and you say, what in the world is it? By examining coordinates, astronomers know which direction the signal originated from. But oddly, that direction doesn't contain any visible star system. So where are they? SETI scientists have been hunting extraterrestrials for decades, battling a public perception that their science really wasn't science at all. There was terrible confusion in the public's mind between the scientific exploration that we were trying to conduct and little green men. In the early days, pioneers Jill Tarter and Frank Drake teamed up with SETI's greatest ambassador, the late astronomer and beloved science icon, Carl Sagan. My dad used to say, you know, look at a starfish and look at yourself and you come from the same world, but look how different you are. Imagine how different something from another world would be. SETI applies scientific rigor to a field with no subject, yet. The first step was a revolutionary equation that calculates the odds they will ever find beings to study. The Drake equation was a a system developed by Frank Drake to try to calculate the number of civilizations that we could communicate with in our own Milky Way galaxy. The equation begins with the estimated 200 billion stars in our galaxy. And then you ask, well, how many planets are going around each star? The next two factors of the equation estimate how many of those planets have seen life emerge, followed by an estimate of how many of those populations are intelligent and how many have the tech to talk to us? Finally, how long do those societies exist before they go extinct 
or self-destruct. If the fractions only equal 5%, it still means the universe could be home to thousands, even millions of civilizations. For the past 50 years, the equation has been a catalog of maybes, with most of the values unknown. But today that's changing, as Earth scientists are spying new worlds that could be just like ours. Liftoff of the Delta II rocket with Kepler. In March of 2009, we finally launched Kepler for the express purpose of finding Earth-sized planets around sun-like stars. Over 1,235 planetary candidates were identified in the first 120 days. Just 20 years ago, planets were believed to be rare. But Kepler has found almost 10 planetary candidates a day, and they're still counting. To find them, it has a staring contest with the stars until one blinks. We're watching these stars, for instances, when a planet flies between us and the star, casting a shadow in our direction. To capture these tiny shadows, Kepler uses the largest camera ever launched by NASA, with a jaw-dropping 95 megapixels, 10 times the power of your point-and-shoot. The images it's taken have helped astronomers calculate that planets could even outnumber the stars by at least two to one. If a few percent of all stars have a cousin of the Earth, if you will, then that means there are literally billions of Earth-like worlds just in our galaxy. By the Kepler mission's end, it could answer one of humanity's oldest and most profound questions. Even the ancient Greeks hypothesized that like grains of wheat in a wheat field, we were probably just one grain and there were many other grains. And I believe if we find one civilization, we will find many. Question is, how will our species react? Will human beings embrace the unknown? Or will we run scared? A month after Earth was stunned by a message from outer space, the dust has begun to settle. Life for most of us is back to normal. Only normal isn't what it used to be. So we've discovered that we are not alone in the universe. That changes everything. But you can't stay in a panic mode forever. The whole universe has changed, and I still need to take out the trash. For many, the news is too strange and far away to upend day-to-day -day life. Others are more preoccupied by the idea of alien neighbors. All over the world, Scientists are poring over the message, trying to decipher its meaning. When we find a signal, it will take a while for astronomers and scientists to figure out what the nature of that signal is. It takes time, because scientists first have to learn an alien language. We don't decode any other animal species on Earth. We've listened to whales. Maybe it's a mating call. Maybe they're doing calculus. We have no clue. Doug Vakoch is the SETI Institute's Director of Interstellar Message Composition. His job is to think like an alien. He researches ways an extraterrestrial might communicate across the cosmos and what they might say. 
Many SETI researchers say if we get a signal from another civilization, it would be written in the language of math because you'd need math to create the technology to transmit, the instruments that let us bridge the gaps of interstellar space. Whatever message an alien civilization sends us, it will be filtered by the language of computers. That's zeros and ones. Binary code. The first thing we'll do is look for some repeating patterns. Maybe they're a numerical sequence. Maybe we'll recognize a frame for a picture. An alien message may be too foreign or advanced for us to comprehend. But there's an upside. If the signal is deliberately sent, it will likely be sent anti-cryptographically. They'll want us to decode the message. They'll make it easy for us. Cryptographers studying the signal make their first break in cracking its message. It begins with a simple series of electromagnetic pulses that researchers quickly identify as a sequence of numbers. There's one tone, then two, followed by three, five, eight, and 13. As the sequence goes on, scientists realize their values in a famous mathematical set called the Fibonacci sequence. It's a string of numbers where each is the sum of the two preceding it. The Fibonacci series tells us about phenomena that are tied into the structure of the universe. You will see it tied into patterns in nature. You'll see it in the spiral of a spiral galaxy or a nautilus shell. If we got a message that contained the Fibonacci series, the most important thing it would say is, this really is from intelligence. After reaching 4,181, the Fibonacci gives way to other patterns for numeric equality, variables, number comparisons, and constants. Scientists realize this first part is a key, a mathematical Rosetta Stone that will help them read the rest of the transmission. And that leads them to believe that this message was intended for us, the inhabitants of Earth. It was targeted, unlike any messages we've sent out into space. Humans have been putting out messages, like messages in a bottle, sending it out blind, not knowing who it's going to get to. And, and typically, they tend to be in one of two categories. The first category is just purely technological to kind of see what we can do. But the other is more subjective. It's more about who we are as humans, like what matters to us. In 1977, NASA sent out the most comprehensive illustration of life on Earth ever intended for an alien civilization. Today, it has traveled farther than any other human-made object. Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 had enough energy and speed to leave the solar system. And uh, Carl Sagan suggested to NASA that we put messages on them because these spacecraft were going to go out into space and be there essentially forever. It'll take about 80,000 years before it ever gets near another star, but it's on its way. Attached to each of the Voyager probes is a gold-plated phonograph record, and on it, a time capsule of the sights and sounds of our planet. There's the sound of waves crashing, laughter, the roar of a Saturn V rocket lifting off for the moon, and music. Carl wanted to put music on the record. He thought that would be one of the best indicators of the level of advancement and nature of our civilization. And there are voices. 
Greetings in 55 human languages. One of the voices was easier to get than the rest. My parents plopped me down in front of the microphone, Ithaca, New York, when I was six years old. So I said, Hello from the children of planet Earth. Today, the voice of young Nick Sagan is over 11 billion miles away from home, traveling over 10 miles a second into interstellar space. Science, while you know, realist at its heart, is optimistic in its own nature. To send some aspect of who we are into the great vastness of space, that says something about human aspiration. We tried to show that we're bold and adventurous. We kind of lied through our teeth. Nowhere on that record will you find pictures of polluted cities, war. So maybe if we get a message from an extraterrestrial technology, we'll get the same thing in return. What they aspire to be. But a debate rages in the scientific community about whether we should send messages at all. It's been said that's a dangerous thing to do because you risk the entire planet because if it's an aggressive species, maybe they'll come down and destroy the Earth. Weeks after receiving a message from an alien civilization, astronomers and analysts are slowly revealing its meaning. The important thing as we're trying to understand a message from extraterrestrials is to be open to new possibilities. We need to be looking at this message from as many different perspectives as possible with the hope that at least one of them will help us decode it. The challenge with an alien message isn't just decoding it, it's understanding it. If they are far more advanced, they may know things we don't, or their intelligence may be completely different than ours. They're gonna be so different than humans. What they might choose to tell us is unimaginable. Our hubris requires that we tell ourselves that we are a measure of intelligence. Suppose they were so much more intelligent than we are that we today are what rhesus monkeys are to us. In a way, I think a message from an extraterrestrial is more like a cosmic inkblot test. It may say more about us than it does about the aliens. We're going to be putting our own presuppositions, our own fears, our own desires on that message. So it's important to be able to extract our own expectations and really understand the message in its own terms. Using decrypting supercomputers, researchers have most of the message's first part deciphered, but the second part remains a mystery until they begin to recognize how it's encoded. Code is the language of our technologies. All underneath everything that you do, our cell phones, our TVs, our internet, all the things that we use on a day-to-day -day basis is somebody having thought up, this is how this machine works and this is the code. The alien coding language is so elegant and complex, it makes our most advanced digital software look like stone carvings in comparison. It has the potential to revolutionize our world. If you have better code, if you have more robust code, if you have less complex code that still performs the same tasks, then it makes things easier, it makes things more efficient, and it opens up a lot of doors. This coding breakthrough wouldn't just put the contents of the Library of Congress on the head of a pin. It can increase the power of every computer on the planet by a factor of a thousand, making everything from our phones to our cars radically more efficient. But then there are those among us suspicious of any apparent gift from space. 
Star Trek line is uh, beware Romulans bringing gifts. You know, aliens could be giving us gifts for a number of reasons. It could be truly in friendship. It could be as a, a means to understand them better. Or it could be a means of our own undoing. I've gotten phone calls from people who ask, what are our government's plans in case you find a signal? Do they have a contingency plan? Well, no, I've never heard of any. I don't think that they're prepared for that at all. But now, governments demand a bigger role in disseminating the new technology. Science follows that old hacker aesthetic of information wants to be free. You want to share that so that people are informed. Governments may react a little bit differently. Something which is using technology that's on the edge of what we understand. That will be very threatening, I think, to a lot of governments. World leaders are reopening a conversation they haven't had in a long time. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. SETI emerged in the midst of the Cold War space race when world powers were facing off above our atmosphere. In a terrific irony, as SETI was being formulated, the United States and the Soviet Union were locked in a really bitter dispute, playing spy versus spy, East surveilling on West, West surveilling on East. And there's an element of that in, in SETI to the extent that we're trying to surveil on who might be out there. But it's not about this acrimonious war here on Earth. It's about looking up and out. Maybe what's out there isn't our enemy. Maybe what's out there is our future. We are not the pinnacle of evolution. We are just one evolutionary outcome. I relish the magnitude with which innovations in science and technology transform our modern lives. Fast forward that 100 years, 500 years, 1,000 years. I dream about that tomorrow. Technology may be our greatest triumph, but it could also be our undoing. With the changing climate, overpopulation, and the threat of nuclear annihilation. Indeed, the very fact that an advanced civilization even sent a message may be the most valuable thing we learn from it. I don't expect that a signal is going to solve all our problems. I think we're going to have to solve those problems because we've created them. But the fact that we know it's possible somehow to survive the technological adolescence that we find ourselves in, I think that's a really important message. Why ETs would bother to send us this code remains a mystery, but it's given humanity a peek inside the mind of an alien intelligence. What more might these beings be saying to us? SETI researchers hope to find out as they work to decipher the final part of the message. The first was a mathematical Rosetta Stone, a key to the second part, which was encoded with a radically advanced method of encryption. Signal processors realize it could catapult our technologies forward by decades, if not centuries. Once they unwrap it, they discover a baffling audio file a repeating clip of eerie tones over a raspy hiss. Its meaning is a mystery, until one of the researchers slows down the message and makes a stunning realization. They are the sounds of stars. 
For years, astronomers have studied the subtle variations in light coming from stars. It's called stellar seismology, although some see it more like celestial musicology. So these are star sounds that we're listening to. And this is a very interesting star. This actually is pulsating and oscillating. And so in many cases, these pulsations and oscillations are actually acoustic waves that are trapped inside the star. As a star churns, its surface ripples, causing minute variations in the amount of light the star emits. Those variations can be turned into sounds, a handy way of learning about their internal structures, age, and size. Every star hums its own unique tune. All right, so what we're listening to here is kick number 7671081, and this is an RR Lyrae star, and it's pulsating acoustically. It's actually blowing its atmosphere up every 12 hours, but this is 90 days worth of data played over a few seconds of time, and we're simply looping this particular sound file. SETI researchers identify the sounds of two stars in the message. One of the tones is similar to that made by a white dwarf. Some call it a dead star. It's what happens after a star goes into a red giant, compacts down into a white dwarf. And it's just very, very densely packed, and it's uh, cooler than a lot of other stars. When slowed down, the hiss of another tone becomes a rhythmic popping. It's the sound made from a strange class of neutron stars called pulsars. Here's what a pulsar is. Take a star, it explodes. There's a little bit left over that is extremely heavy and it's extremely dense. Instead of being the size of a planet, they're the size of a city. They're like maybe five or 10 miles across, but they have the same mass as the white dwarf. The reason we call them pulsars is because from our perspective, they pulse. When the magnetic poles are rotating, these huge gouts of energy are just coming out, flashing, flashing, flashing. One way to communicate with another civilization is to tell them about astronomy. I mean, after all, if you're looking for another civilization, you've got to know some astronomy. So a beautiful message would be one that talks about your home world, the star system that you come from. Could these sounds be a map to an alien world? Are these beings telling us where they came from? Each pulsar is its idiosyncratic speed that it's going around. The beauty of that pulsing is that you can talk about the location of where that message is from. It's a very fitting sort of reminder of a technologically advanced civilization. Each new revelation about the message brings a storm of new questions that have no answers. So the public is filling in the blanks with their hopes, dreams, and darkest nightmares. With a clue to their home world, astronomers begin looking up, trying to find this strange system of stars. They don't get far before Earth receives another signal. And on this transmission, they're talking. The aliens have sent us a jumble of phrases, and it doesn't take long for SETI researchers to recognize them. They're ours. It is a remix of greetings recorded and sent out on the Voyager spacecraft in 1977. In English. Hello, children of Earth. In ancient Greek. 
we come. And finally, in Indonesian. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. Goodbye. They have used our own words to engineer a message to us. They've been studying us. So aliens have found our signal. They know that we exist. How are they going to find out more about us? One way that they could do that is what we would probably do. We would send a probe. When we wanted to know more about the planets near us, we sent our own probes. So it seems logical that they would want to do the same thing. They not only see us, they not only know us, they are on their way. And they aren't far. The Voyager 1 spacecraft is about to journey into the interstellar medium, the distance between the stars. It's at the edge of the solar system. They're not light years away. On the other edge of the galaxy, they're in our own backyard. The idea that if they were coming closer to us, then we were going to have an actual confrontation or a meeting. I think at that point, the inescapability of day by day, they're closer, they're closer, it would galvanize us. Look, if we were to find something in our own solar system coming our way, you know, you might as well sit back and have a nice drink because there's not much you can do about it. Whatever they have in mind to do, they're probably going to be able to do it because after all, they managed to make it this far. Astronomers train their most advanced eyes and ears on the distant reaches of our solar system. Nothing. Are the alien travelers beyond our sight? Are they waiting to show themselves? Let's say you're an alien species and you're benevolent. You don't want to cause us any harm. You're looking for the right moment to come say hi. Uh, where is that point? If you're a completely moral species, maybe you don't want to do it until you know that people aren't going to freak out and panic and kill themselves and have doomsday cults, that kind of stuff. You don't want to interfere with a culture that's still trying to get their own way forward. You know, you can wonder if we're ready for contact. If you ask me, uh, the answer is simple. No, we're not ready. We're not ready to communicate with each other. We can't solve our own problems. Just say, oh yeah, now let's have a conversation with an alien that might be more intelligent than we are, excuse me? But the people of Earth, with all of their imperfections, may not have a choice in the matter. We are about to come face to face with beings from another planet. Whether we're ready for them or not, they're coming. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Confidence starts with loving who you are. 
And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.